Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank, alongside my co-host Justin Valenzuela for episode 20, where we're going to talk a little bit about our lives over last weekend, plenty of the NBA playoffs, and some news on the Yankees and Angels. Justin, how are we doing today? You know, Jackson, today it's a little bittersweet. When life punches you straight in the mouth, you get a little down, but you get rewarded with Aaron Judge walking it off in the bottom of the ninth, three-run dinger to beat the Blue Jays 6-5. to five. So like I said, a little bittersweet, got punched in the mouth a little bit, theoretically. But you know, the Yankees made up for it, they tend to do nowadays, so you know what? I'm doing pretty good. We can always lean on our sports for a little bit of happiness in our lives. Okay, Justin, you and I last weekend, we're going we're gonna to hit, hit the personal life a little bit first. For sure. So you and I last weekend went and saw the newest Doctor Strange film, which I thought, you know, we, ga- we gave it an 8-3. Yeah, I've, we, I've been kind of li- sleeping on it, bro. We, we liked it. Bit. What'd you think? I think in the theater I liked it, but as I've slept on it, I've come to dislike it more and more, believe it or not. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, really, what was that? Interesting. Yeah, like, okay, so it's one of those things where it's like, it's a brain filler. You know what I'm saying? So, like, in the movies, you're enjoying the action. You're enjoying the sinisterness of the film and, you know, superheroes. Whoa, cool, opening portals. But then, you know, you, you don't think of the plot in the moment, and then you reflect on it over time. And you kind of realize, hmm, this movie was a little bit rushed, kind of confusing at some parts. And, you know, it brings it down a little bit. It was still a very enjoyable movie. I don't think Marvel typically has straight misses. But I think in terms of plot and plot development, I think it's allowed to be mid. I mean, it... It had you need to have seen WandaVision before you step into the theater. I think that's a big component of it and the fact that now, you know, it's good marketing. They that you have to go on different platforms and watch different things before you go ahead and go into the movies and see it. But, you know, if you're a real fan, you'll you'll spend the money on a Disney Plus subscription, watch the show, and then you'll go in and see the movie. So I think that gave it a lot more context. I went back and watched WandaVision after and it gave me a little bit more liking to what was going on. So I'm going to up my rating to an 8.5. But I still didn't like the instant kind of reward that the other hero got in this movie. And when you guys go see it, you guys will understand. I thought this was a great movie because it added, you talked about sinisterness. Yes. It was a lot more fun because of the high action and almost, you know, scary aspects of it. Yeah. Did you know, Um, I literally just found this out, like, before we were walking over. I was scrolling through Instagram, a little bored. I saw that it actually got deemed, it, it, as of before, it was a PG-13 movie. But after reviews and feedback from the uh, audience, they actually deemed it too scary for PG-13. So it is now officially rated R. Wow. Yeah, that just goes to show how... House, like, I mean, obviously I wasn't scared, but I, I could totally understand where there are sinister aspects, like you said. Um, Not too many spoils, but it deals with witchcraft to some degree. So, I mean, witches are always scary, you know? But I'm going to take the opposite route of you. Sure. I want to say 6'8", but I think the, like, this has never before seen a sinister aspect of Marvel. It's mm-hmm. usually all, like, good, great, you know. Uh, that's that's why I think I liked one? about it. Yeah, the eeriness, I definitely love that they're trying something different. As I, And as somebody that loves horror movies, that resonates with me deeply. So I'm going to I'm gonna bump it down, but not too much. I'm going to rock with like a 7-6. Okay, 
Gotcha. But regardless, we're excited about the new phase of Marvel, you know, moving on from the base characters, and now they have really just, it's almost like they're working on a green screen. They can throw whatever they want at us. Obviously, they're going to stick somewhat to the comics, but I'm excited to see what they bring out in the next couple of years. Well, speaking of Sinister, the Heat absolutely blew out the 76ers last night, a score of 120 to 85. We're transitioning into the NBA playoffs now. It's been a while since we since we hopped on the podcast, so we're, we've got some ground to cover. A little behind, for sure. So three games happened in the Heat Sixers as Sixers took Game 3 and Game 4, both in Philadelphia, and now the Heat come back in Miami and absolutely decimate. And I mean decimate the Sixers. They shot pretty poorly in the, in the first two games the Heat did, and obviously Harden had a crazy game going 31-9-7 and seven in Game 4. You know, a little, little vintage, vintage Harden turned back the clock a little bit. Just a smidge. But man, back all the way, though. but man, the Heat when when they get some things going and they actually shoot how they're supposed to shoot, they are a very dangerous team. Yeah, I think the X factor in this series is obviously I would I would die on a grave saying that the Sixers are a more talented team, but admittedly the Heat are a deeper, more def- better defensively driven team. But with that said, the X factor is home court advantage. This series, not a single team has won an away game, and these games aren't really that close you know what i'm saying it's it's most of them are blowouts and i think that the home court advantage is really really taking a toll on both teams uh and with that said this goes in favor of the heat obviously having game seven at home i envision this series going to seven i i really can't picture Embiid having back-to-back bad games obviously last night he only had 17 harden had 14 shocker but the real shocker was Maxi had nine points on 20% shooting. That's that's a pretty rough stat line all around for the Sixers' big three. Really have to question if that physical heat defense and that violent heat crowd is uh, getting in their heads a little bit. Well, yeah, Embiid had the scary, really. He had a scary interaction where he got hit in the face last night again. So that that I think that limited his points a lot and... You see they only shot 20%, but man, I would love to see a, a, one of the two teams in this series really just start to take force because it just seems like they're playing back and forth. You know, hey, when we're at home, all right, let's turn it on. When we're away, yep, we can lose this game, and then we'll just, you know, we're, we'll bring it all to Game 7. I would love to see the Heat go into Philadelphia and close this thing out because oh, I, I know that. that they're capable. Yeah. I think uh, my one friend who's a big Sixers fan, I mean, this was obviously sarcastic. I I don't think he genuinely believes this. But after they got blown out, lack of court spreading, uh, a lot of bunching up, you know, horrible stat line for their three stars. He put on a story, I miss Ben Simmons. (laughs) And that was funny to me because obviously I don't think they do. They genuinely dislike this man. But as a biased Nets fan who now has – no choice but to support Ben Simmons, even though I'm very upset at him. Uh, would love to see the Sixers lose. So I'm definitely pushing for the Heat to, you know, take control of Game 6. But it seems like it's a lot of just one star player goes off and then the rest kind of falters. Because, you know, you see Jimmy Butler dropping 33 and then 40, but nobody else helps. And then Embiid will drop 30, but no one helps. Or Harden will drop 30, but no one else helps. So definitely want to see more team play from these two teams. 
I do think it is crazy, though, how the Sixers have made their way back into this. I mean, losing Embiid, obviously, they're in the heat. They're in Miami for the first two games. But, man, losing Embiid and then coming back and winning two straight, I think it's really impressive by the Sixers. Yeah, uh, just one last note before we move on. That's The Sixers are a better team, but it just... You know, they might lose this series solely because they were in a 2-0 hole. They were playing from behind from the start, and even though you're a better team, in a series to four, if they're already halfway there before you can even play your best basketball, it gets kind of hard to, you know, come back. All right. Speaking of teams that started in a 2-0 hole, let's switch over to the Suns and Mavs. The Mavs tied this series up at two. They won their first game 103-94, to and then the next... 111 to 101 in that second game they shot 46 percent from behind the arc and cp3 was held to just four shots in dallas so the mavs also had a good bench night so justin you and i both predicted the the suns to just dominate this series what do you think has been going on that has allowed the mavericks to start to step back into this well i think it's pretty obvious the the shooting has definitely bought them back. I was uh, looking at some statistic graphic. I can't tell you the players, but it had the top five three-point shooters in the NBA playoffs. Number one, number two, and number four were on the Dallas Mavericks, and then uh, the other two were on the Sixers. So I think that if you live by the three ball, you also can die by it. So I think that was evident in the first two games, dropping down 0-2, not shooting the ball well, and then inevitably picking it up uh, in games three and four, shooting the ball better. But game five not shooting the ball well they lose by 30 last night to the Suns so I think uh this team is only going to go as far as the three-point shooting especially off the bench is going to take them as you can see here three Mavericks score 10 points off the bench Kleber, Bertans, and Dinwiddie that's usually a recipe for success if they can continue that but when they don't you know you kind of are getting blown out so definitely have to up the bench play yeah I mean when you have 10 point or when you have 30 points off the bench like they did in their in in one of their wins it can be so beneficial because it takes the pressure off the starters and most importantly it takes pressure off Luka I mean this is a guy who Justin it seems like every night he has to drop 45 in order for the Mavs just to have a chance to beat the Suns yeah. now they shot well in the two games that they won but they were also in Dallas Right, this this game seven is going to end up in Phoenix. Now, quite frankly, I had the Suns on the sweep. I don't think this this is going to go seven with the way that the Suns played last night. I think if they go into Dallas, Monty Williams can finally you know get that road win that the Suns are looking for. They could play aggressive, harsh, lock Luca out of the game, and make the bench try and earn the points. I think it's a recipe for success. And shout out Monty Williams, by the way, coach of the year. Yep, definitely. One of the one of, if not the best coach in the league. Great job with the Suns. Turned an absolute laughing stock into a very, very formidable team. Much kudos to him. But yeah, very interesting that home court advantage is taking such a toll um in seemingly every series so far. One that it's not taking a toll on though is the Celtics and Bucks series. It's kinda all over the place. The Celtics Steal one in Milwaukee last night, 116 to 108. I think it's because that these teams are the most evenly matched for yeah. each other. Yeah, they stole game one in Boston, and then they lose last night to the Celtics while they're in Milwaukee. I think it's tough because the Celtics 
were down pretty big going into the fourth quarter. I think they were down 8-10. to 10, And the Bucks. I mean, you saw it. I don't know if you saw it in the face of Al Harford. Oh, yeah. Oh, my sure. gosh. Yeah. He was like, I'm tired of this. And he took over. He comes up big with 30 points for the Celtics. And their starters, dude, goes to show how good they are across the board. 105 of their 116 points came from their starters last night. Yeah, very impressive. Huge shout out to the big man out of Dominican Republic. Big Al Horford fan. I used to love watching him on the Hawks. Uh, Love to see some vintage big Al out there. But yeah, the Bucks, um, they just failed to close this game out. Like you said, down eight, heading into the fourth. And then uh, from the six-minute mark in the fourth quarter to the three-minute mark, they scored a whopping, drum roll, two points. Not a recipe for success. Uh, they let the Celtics go on a 10-2 to run in a span of three minutes. And then from that point on, it was all Celtics. Just, you know, sloppy basketball towards the end. Uh, you just, as a team, and it sucks because you know the Bucks are such a team-oriented team. I know that's a lot of team there, but there's no I in team. A lot of me basketball in those last six minutes of the game. You'd expect a lot more from the Bucks, But, you know, series tied. They got two more games uh, to kind of bounce back. But very interesting that these two teams uh, both stole one. And then, honestly, the Celtics have simply outplayed the Bucks at this point because they got away with one. Uh, a couple nights ago, they only won 103-101. to 101. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't name the player. The Celtics missed the game-tying shot. So yeah, like, they did, and they definitely <laughs> got away with one. <laughs> you get, you're asking me to guess the name. Four different players within the matter of the last six seconds tried to shoot the, tried to shoot the shoot the ball to tie it, and it just couldn't go in yeah. for the life of them. The last guy who shot it banked it in, but it was like a half second too late. Yeah, uh, cool. it's it's tough. The Bucks, they're not closing games out, and that's really dangerous in the playoffs because. You can't just sit on a big lead. You might be at home. You might be comfortable. But you cannot sit on a lead. You have to keep pushing. Keep the keep the foot. Keep your foot on their throats and make sure you finish strong. All right. Let's move on to the Grizzlies, a team that has been set up in really good situations all playoffs. And now they get the biggest blessing and the and the Grizzlies get their biggest curse. The Warriors have found themselves up 3-1, and Ja Morant is out for the rest of the playoffs. Well, they said he's allegedly allegedly out. At the but very least, they're down 3-1. At the very least, he's missing the next game or two. Yeah, if Both not, if not having like 15 to 10, 10 to 15 minutes of play. Yeah, and, uh, and how impacts... It, it's very stupid to rush uh, your best young player out there like that. You're already down 3-1 to one of the most veteran-tested teams in the entire playoffs. You know, man, it's just, and they're going back to Golden State for uh, Game Five. It's just, it's it's sad. It's a sad way to go out, but we we all know the Grizzlies have a very very bright future. Do the smart thing, shut them down for the playoffs, bounce back next year. You know, get your revenge at that point. It's just a very this this series is over, no doubt. They even took Game Four, one forty two to one twelve. It's just, it's unfortunate, but these types of things happen. You got to live with it. I mean, Warriors are going to win this in five, no doubt. Yeah, I think they close it out when they play. I believe that game is tonight. So they might close out this series tonight. It's it's so sad because you and I had debates. You know, we saw how well Jaw played 
it, during our last episode. I mean, he was the cover player. So, yeah, it's it's so unfortunate to see him go because he's such a presence on the court. But I think this sets the Warriors up really, really nicely for the rest of the playoffs with a chance that they can show their dominance on the road, get their confidence built up, get some rest because the other series going on could end up in six, seven games. So they can really game plan for the next opponent yeah, and go from there. No doubt. Yeah, uh, one question I want to pose on you all and you, Jackson, is is John Morant's style of play maintainable? We look at players like Derrick Rose, very athletic, very very bouncy, very physical. You know, we all know how that ended. Russell Westbrook has seemingly fallen off a cliff athletically. And John Morant, this is his third or fourth brush with, with a minor or major injury. And it's only his second year in the league. You know, he missed significant time this year with an injury. He's set to miss more significant time with another knee injury. It's very upsetting because there's these such talented players, and they just can't seem to get out of the injury bug. And it's it's upsetting, and I hope he can get past this. But as of right now, not looking too good in my opinion. I think with the way the league is shaped when it comes to fouls, you know, it's still a little soft, but at the same time it remains remains a little physical. I think it's both a blessing and a curse, but to be honest, Justin, as a fan, I want it to work out. No doubt. And as someone who sees various different types of physical players like Anthony Edwards in this league as well, and you know, Russ, a couple years ago, was fine. I think it's the dynamic of the team that he's on that changes everything, that made him lose a step, right? Yeah. But... You know, I think it is sustainable. I think the only issue is maybe Jaw is just very injury prone. And yes. I think that's that's the issue, right? If he can find a way, go through good rehab, really rest it this offseason, make sure that he does everything throughout the rest of his career to protect it, I think he could be okay. Because the Grizzlies, I think, will only get better from here. Right, Jaw's going to continue going into his third, fourth year, and they're going to get him more playmakers. Right, they're going to try, I think, to get another piece next free agency, try and take a big swing at somebody because that'll push them over the hump to beat a team that has multiple playmakers like the Warriors do now. Yeah, definitely, I I, I totally agree. As a fan of the sport, you know, I would love to see the young stars pan out. It's just. A fear that I have because you know we've seen these types of things before. Ja has a similar resemblance to Derrick Rose, and I'm not saying this is a Derrick Rose situation, but certainly something to keep an eye on. It definitely is. Okay, let's move on to the MLB. I'm gonna close things out with a no hitter, Justin. I mean, just ridiculous. Angels rookie Reed Detmers has a no hitter at the age of 22 in a 12 0 win over not a scummy team. This is the Tampa Bay Rays we're talking about. Yep, they, they no hit the Tampa Bay Rays. Very impressive. The Rays, you know, they started slow too, but they've definitely picked it up. Eight and two in their last ten. Obviously, last night dropping it, so seven and three in their last ten now. But extremely impressive for a twenty-two-year-old rookie to come in and, and no hit such a formidable opponent like that. Just wow! I love to see uh, Anthony Rendon hit a home run lefty. Dude, are you That's kidding? That's crazy. I mean, although, like, it's it's off of Brett Phillips, which it's 54 miles an hour. To hit a ball 350 when you've never taken a lefty at bat in your life, 
Yeah. Like I saw, dude, that swing was so wonky too. <laughs> dude. He put everything he had into that swing. And I get it took it out of the park. But ev- dude, everything was going right for the Angels the other night. Otani got like a table full of awards. It was something ridiculous. But literally like everything was going right for the Angels. We talked about the awards with Otani, but like, oh my gosh, Anthony Rendon hitting a home run left-handed. And then after the no-hitter, all the the entire team to step outside of the dugout during the post-game interview and to sit there in the background, it, it was just, it was hilarious to watch. And congrats to the Angels because this is what they've needed. They need a solid pitching rotation. And we've been waiting waiting and waiting every baseball fan has been waiting for mike trout's success yeah he got otani with him which is just like a crazy duo like Justin and i were talking on the way into the radio station before we recorded two of the most dynamic players if not the two most dynamic players in the league so congrats to the angels i'm glad for their success because this is a team that has so much capability with the top end of their stardom but they just have not had a lot of success yeah, definitely. It's just wow, twenty-two years old. That's that's stupid impressive. I saw Trout absolutely obliterate one of Brett Phillips, <laughs> one of Brett Phillips' pitches, dude. He just smoked that thing, followed by Rendon clowning him hitting it lefty. Just one of the best games probably in Angels history. Definitely, yeah. He became the at age twenty-two. He became the youngest pitcher to throw. A no-hitter since Anibal Sanchez for the Marlins. I think it was back in like 2006. I'm not entirely sure. But, man, what a game for the Angels. And just an entertaining game to watch all around. Okay. Last thing. We're going to hop on to Justin's Yankees. He threw this on here. But for good reason, man. They're they're top of the league. Justin, give me a rundown on your Yanks, man. Man, we continue to impress. Uh, we were getting no-hit through five. Heading into the ninth inning, we were down 5-3, and then we got two freebies. Jose Trevino draws a walk. Our ninth batter, that's honestly on the closer, Romano. Romano absolutely choked, and I'm not afraid to admit it. We got handed a freebie because he walked our ninth batter, who hits like 184 in the year, and then our leadoff, DJ The Machine, LeMahieu steps up to bat. Uh, Very formidable, great at-bat for him. Also draws a walk, but now you face Aaron Judge who is out with an absolute vengeance, notoriously not clutch. He didn't hit his first career walk-off until last year, and it was a walk. He was walked, and it was a walk-off walk. And then, uh, So he hasn't really ever hit a walk-off. Yeah, well, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. In the final game of the year to clinch the playoffs, he hit a very weak, horribly fielded infield single. That was a walk-off. That was his first career hit oh, okay. for a walk-off. Gotcha. But it, like... It was pretty fluky, pretty Mickey Mouse. But this 450 feet three-run bomb to walk it off for the Yankees. Yankees, this man is playing with a vengeance. He's showing us what we all knew he was capable of, but he wasn't consistent with it. Pay that man the first to 10 home runs in the major leagues. Best record in all of baseball. One of the best rotations I was pretty down on them to start the year. I mean, who wouldn't be? We were 5-5. Five and five. We just lost a series to the Orioles. But since then, we have turned it up, and I can't be more excited. Yeah, congrats to Aaron Judge on making Michael K say, See ya! There it goes! <laughs> See ya! And then we got Sterling, who goes, 
Yankees win. Yeah, so <laughs> Yankees win. So congrats to the Yanks and congrats to you, Justin. Coastal teams continue to stay hot Fast. in the MLB. Shout out Bobby Witt, baby. <laughs> anyway, that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another great episode. Justin, thank you so much. Thank you, Jackson. And we will see you all next time.